Well, it's great to be here today. We appreciate very much everyone who came to worship with us. We've got some visitors in the crowd. We're happy you're here and want you to be comfortable in our services and come back and visit with us when you can. As Seth alluded to, we've been going through the book of Hebrews, or I have a little bit of my, ser- my sermons, and want to talk about uh, what we find in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6 today, where we find that Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses. And we've talked about the overall view of the book of Hebrews and what's going on here. It's written to Jewish Christians sort of late in the first century, right around 67, 68 AD or so, give or take however many years to allow for error there. But it was written to Jewish Christians who were enduring persecution under the Roman Empire, were about to undergo more of that. It was also written to Jewish Christians who held, sort of had problems letting go of the old law, if you will, letting go of the things that they had held dear their entire lives. And as they faced the coming destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, a lot of the things that they held dear were about to be put to the test. Uh, The city of Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. The temple was going to be destroyed. And the writer of Hebrews is trying to encourage them and show them that Jesus is better than all that. Christ is more superior to everything that you think that you hold dear in your life. And we've used this chart to demonstrate that, that Christ was superior to the angels that we talked about last time in Hebrews chapters 1 and 2. We talked about, uh, we, and today we're going to talk about how Christ is superior to Moses or worthy of more glory than Moses, as we read in, in verses 1 through 6, the Levitical priesthood, the Levitical sacrifices, and so forth. And in some of these, we have a thesis statement, and then we have a proof text, and we have a warning that goes along with each one of these in the book of Hebrews. And today, as we talk about the, the thesis statement that we have here, the, the proof verses that go along with that we're going to talk about next time because they're not so much of a proof, but as more of a, um, if it is true that Christ is worthy of more glory than Moses, then this is also true. And we're going to talk about a better rest that is awaiting Christians as we talk about the next, next sermon. But today we're going to hone in on verses 1 through 6 and talk about the fact that Christ is worthy of more glory than Moses. And verse 3 here is kind of the central statement of this entire passage, that Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. And we're going to dig into why that is, how he's proving here that Jesus is worthy of more glory. And also along with that, some observations I want to make about the audience that he's writing to and what some of these statements that he makes here should mean to you and I as we consider our own faith, as we consider Christ and he being more worthy, not only of more glory than Moses, but worthy of more glory than anything that can be in our lives as well. So we want to begin by reading the first two verses here, kind of take this a couple of verses at a time. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. And so we've established now that Jesus is more superior to the angels, and now he's moving on to Moses. And we're going to talk about that here in a minute. But he starts out by talking about addressing this audience, and he says, Holy brothers. And I find that kind of an interesting phrase. Uh, holy brethren, I think, is the way it's used in other translations. But what does that mean? Well, he's not talking about brothers, male people who are his brothers who happen to be holy. That's not what he's talking about here. And I've got the definition of the Greek word that's up here, this adelphos, and it's basically a combination of the Greek letter alpha, which is the A, basically, squished onto the front of this word delphos, which means the womb. 
And so it can mean literally blood brothers or blood kin, but what it's used for more often in Scripture, and here specifically, some of the things I've highlighted in red here, belonging to the same people, a fellow believer united to another by the bond of affection, or brethren in Christ. And so he's talking about the family of God. And it's not that we're holy because we and of ourselves are holy, but we're holy because we're part of God's family. As we read up in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You know, almost 47 years ago, my birthday's next Friday, by the way, if anybody's interested. Almost 47 years ago, I was born into this world physically. I was born into a family, had a mom and dad. About a year later, a little bit longer, a brother came along. That was my family. I was born into that family. I had aunts and uncles and cousins, grandparents. And those people will always be my family in terms of my blood. But you know, when I made the decision in in my life to give my life to Jesus, to obey the gospel, to be buried with him in baptism, and have my sins washed away, I was born again into the family of God. And it's a holy family, not because I make it holy or because you make it holy. It's holy because Christ makes it holy. And we're part of something very special when we're a part of the holy family. We're holy brethren because Christ has made us that way. And I think that's important that that the writer of Hebrews is addressing this because he's trying to tell them, listen, the things that you've always been so proud of in your Jewish heritage the things that you've always held so dear, all that has meant so much to you, you're part of something far greater now. You're not just God's one chosen people living on this world. You're now part of the holy family of God. And it's something that's much bigger than any one person. You're part of his holy family. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. He says back in our text, you who share in a heavenly calling. Listen, this isn't after-school chess club or the Rotary Club or this isn't golfing with your buddies or your bunco group. This is something really special. It's the most special organization that you can be a part of. I hesitate to even call it an organization because that seems to kind of cheapen it a little bit. This is a heavenly calling. We're part of God's holy family. And we shouldn't ever minimize that or under, and misunderstand that. The Jewish Christians that the writer is writing to here, we see all throughout the New Testament, Book of Galatians especially, and other, and other books, they had a hard, those Jewish Christians had a hard time letting go of their, of their traditions, their culture. And the writer is saying, you're part of something way more important than that now. You're part of a heavenly calling. You share in that with your brothers and sisters, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. We do this together, and we don't do it in Saul. We share in this. That's an important point for us to consider as well. Christianity is not done in solitude. If you skip on down to Ephesians 4, verse 11, it says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints, plural, not one saint, the work of the ministry for building up of the body of Christ, not one member of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith. I was listening to Brother Mike Minson from Oklahoma City, his YouTube channel on, uh, called Begin in the Word. If you want a really good, wholesome YouTube channel to go to, I'd recommend that one. 
But he talked about this passage, and he talked about how if you're doing the Christian thing alone in solitude, you may want to consider whether or not you're actually walking with Jesus. Because it was not designed to be done that way. The church is designed for us to grow together, to come together as the body of Christ. And so he moves on now to saying, consider Jesus. So when you think about your role as a member of God's holy family and how we're doing this together and we're sharing in something much greater than ourselves, consider Jesus. And we'll get to the therefore here in a minute. This word consider, it's not just, hey, take a look at this or why don't you think about this a little bit. It's you consider attentively and you fix your eyes or your mind on Jesus and the role that he plays in all this. Don't think about the law of Moses. Don't think about the message that angels gave to you in times past. Don't worry about the temple that's about to be destroyed. You fix your eyes upon Jesus. And you consider him attentively. We read in Colossians chapter 1, verse 3, If then you have been raised with Christ, and they had, he says, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on things on the earth. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ. What do we set our attention on? What do we fix our eyes and our mind on in this life? I doubt anybody in this room has a problem with worrying about the old law or fixating upon Moses or anything like that. There's plenty of other things in the world to draw our attentions away from Jesus. He's saying, you set your minds, you set your attention, fix your mind, fix your eyes on Jesus. That's where the most important thing is. So we always talk about the word therefore. It means we need to look before, right? And so earlier in the letter, the writer has already talked about these areas. He's talking about, he said, you consider Jesus, who? The apostle and high priest of our confession. He's already addressed this in his letter, talking about Jesus as the apostle and high priest of our confession. And you might say, well, that kind of sounds weird. Jesus, I thought Jesus called the apostles. I didn't know Jesus was an apostle. You know, the word apostle, it's not like Jesus came along and just said, you know, I need a really cool buzzword to call my people, to call my followers. I need, I need something that's going to, I'm going to invent this word apostle. The word apostle actually has meaning and had meaning before that. And it's just talking about a delegate or a messenger, someone who's speaking on behalf of someone else. And so when you think about that, Jesus is the perfect apostle of God. And we've already talked about that earlier in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, by his apostle. His son is the final word on everything God has to say to humankind, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus is the perfect representation of God. He's the ultimate apostle of God. And so the writer is saying, you consider Jesus who is the apostle. You could almost put in parentheses, the ultimate apostle of God. And he's also our high priest. And we're going to delve way deeper into that as we go along in this series. But in chapter 2, right before this passage, verse 17 and 18, it says, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. We talked last time about why Jesus had to become a man, because God can't die. God can't shed his blood. God can't suffer. And that's why Jesus had to become a man in order that he might do that, and so that he could become our high priest, the perfect high priest who can stand before God on our behalf and make intercession and offer his own blood, not the blood of bulls and goats, 
And so Jesus, he says, you consider, you consider, therefore, holy brothers, you who are members of the holy family of God, and this calling that is greater than any other calling you could imagine, you set your mind on Jesus, who's the ultimate apostle, who's the high priest that nobody else could be. You set your mind on that. Going now to verse 3 of Hebrews chapter 3. Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. So you consider all this, he says. You consider all this. Let me back up one here. Just as Moses was also faithful in God's house, you consider Jesus for why Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Now, he's not denigrating Moses here. He's not saying, listen, Moses was a chump, and y'all shouldn't worry about Moses anymore. He's giving Moses his due. Moses was faithful in all God's house. He was faithful. He was a faithful servant. But what he's saying here is Jesus has more glory than that. More glory than the man that you look to as, as a culture, as a history, and say, that was a great man. And consider all the things that Moses did and how these people would have viewed him. The man who came to the Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world at that time, in Egypt, and said, let my people go. Who led them out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, who took them to Mount Sinai, who went to God on their behalf when they were too scared of the fire and the lightning and all that kind of stuff on the mountain, who spoke to God on their behalf, whom God spoke to through him, led them through the wandering in the wilderness. They would have greatly reverenced Moses, and rightly so to a degree. But he's saying Jesus is worthy of more glory even than Moses. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4 says, Having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. I want to point this out because there's a, and I'm not an expert in, in Greek language or poetry or the circular nature of the way things are done here, but there's something going on here where he's building upon the same type of argument over and over. In chapter 1, he was as much superior to the angels as the name he's inherited is more excellent than theirs. In this chapter, it's he has more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has honor, more honor than the house itself, right? So he's, he's making this argument. He has more glory, and it's, it's this much, much more glory, and it's this much more honor, and this much more worth, much more superior, so on and so forth. And he's going to do that all throughout the book of Hebrews. And so he uses the example of a house that's been built and has more glory and honor than that. And, you know, if you think about, you know, we look at a house and we think, well, that's a pretty nice house. But then we, we greatly respect, we give honor to the person that built that house more than the house itself, or we probably should anyway. I remember one time I visited a house and a man there had a, a roll-top desk in his office, a beautiful roll-top desk. And roll-tops aren't my thing. I don't really like using them. I think they're kind of a pain to use. But it was a beautiful piece of furniture. And then I found out from his wife that he had actually made that when he was in high school. And there was all these intricate carvings and, and designs and moldings that were on it. Really beautiful piece of furniture. It's like, wow, I'm really impressed that a high school student made this roll-top desk. And I, you know, was, I was giving more honor to the guy that made it than the actual thing itself. And that's what he's saying here is, look, we give, we give honor to the house, but we give honor, more honor to the person that built the house. And what he's saying here is Jesus built the house. He's the builder of the house of God. And that's to whom we give the honor. 
And that's why he's more superior to Moses. That's why he has more glory than Moses, because Moses, he was a servant in God's house for sure, but Jesus is the builder of the house. What is Jesus worth to you? Is he worth more than anything? We say that a lot, don't we? Jesus is worth more than, he's the most important thing in my life. We'll say that, we'll claim that. Many of you probably remember from our, our Revelation series back in October, reading this passage in Revelation 5. It's one of my favorite passages in Scripture. As the, the chapter starts, we see John having a vision of the throne of God, and God is sitting on his throne, and in God's hand there's a scroll that has been sealed with seven seals. And the Bible says there was a, a search made for someone who to be worthy to open the seals. You know, we sing a song sometimes called, uh, Oh, What a Savior. In that song, there's a, there's a phrase that says, they searched through heaven and found a Savior. I used to not like that phrase because I thought it was like, What's up? that's kind of random. They're just talking about, hey, we just, we're just looking for somebody who can be a Savior. Just let's find anybody. Well, there was a search made. John says, they looked through heaven, they looked on earth, and no one was found worthy to open the scrolls. And so John says, I wept, for no one was to be found worthy. And so the angel that was with him said, don't weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed to open the scrolls. And so what we have here in Revelation 5 is this exaltation of Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God. And he's worthy to open the scrolls. And they sing a new song in verse 9. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. They shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Jesus is worthy of more, period. Worthy of more what? Anything. Glory, honor, praise, whatever, whatever adjective you can fit in there, Jesus is worthy of that more than anything else. What about in our own lives? We may say Jesus is worth more to us than anything, but do we live that out? What do we set our affections on? What do we spend our time doing? What do we talk about with people? He's telling these Jewish Christians, Jesus is much more worthy of glory than Moses, of the law of the Levitical priesthood, of the sacrifices. What about your life? Is Jesus worth more to you than anything else? Or do we place other things above him? Something for us to consider. Moving now to verse 5 of Hebrews chapter 3. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. So the writer has demonstrated that Christ was faithful in carrying out his duty as God's apostle and his high priest. And Moses was also faithful. We talked about that. Moses was faithful in all God's house, and we understand that. He was faithful in God's house as a servant, but he says Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And so we see a stark difference there. And let's just think about that for a couple of minutes. He's alluding to Numbers chapter 12 here in verse 6. And I think we talked about this passage last time in talking about the way God has communicated his will in, in times past. What is happening here is Miriam and Aaron have confronted 
Moses and spoken out against him because of, of a woman he married. And they're speaking out against Moses, and they're, they're saying, hey, you know, aren't we God's servants too, and don't we get messages from God? And, you know, we're just as good as Moses. And God comes down in a huff. And he comes down in this cloud, and he confronts them. And this is what he says in verse number 6. Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. Now, let's just stop there for a second. Can you imagine being Miriam and Aaron and getting this message from God? Or what if God is speaking and saying, hey, you know, I might deliver my message in a dream or a vision to, to, to somebody, but to, to Brother Danny, my servant Danny, or my servant Brad, he's calling Moses out by name. Hey, Moses is my servant. And not so, I don't just give him visions and dreams. He is my faithful, he is my servant. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, and not in riddles. He beholds the form of the Lord. Moses and I are tight. All right, I don't do this with just anybody. Moses is a faithful servant in my house. Moses had a special relationship with God. When they got to the mountain, the people saw the craziness going on in the mountain, and they said, hey, Moses, you go talk to God for us. We don't want any part of this. And Moses goes up to the mountain. He gets the Ten Commandments. He gets the law. The Bible says when Moses would go talk to God that he would come down and his face would be shining. He'd have to put a veil over his face. And Moses had a very special relationship with God. And he was a faithful servant. We see all throughout Scripture God referring to my servant Moses but he was a servant. As faithful as he was in his, servant, in his service, he was a servant in the house. He wasn't a son. He wasn't God's son. Deuteronomy chapter 18 talks about what is said here. He was a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. Moses had a message. He delivered God's messages and God's law to the people, and he spoke of things that would happen later, Right? things that were to be spoken later. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15 says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. This is Moses speaking to the to children of Israel. He'll raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. He's testifying of the things that will be said later. You're going to listen to this man, this prophet. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see his great fire anymore, lest I die. That was them saying, hey, Moses, you go talk to God. And so verse 17, he says, The Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. They were right to do that. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. He's talking about Jesus here. There's gonna, God's going to raise a prophet, and he's going to be greater than me. I'm just a servant. He's the son. We talked about this verse last time, Hebrews 1 and 5. For which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. You know, it's pretty amazing as you look at Moses and the relationship he had with God. That's, that was pretty special, no doubt about it. Nothing compared to this. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. That's what Jesus says. Well, that's what God says. And so we see here in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, that, that Peter, as he's preaching, he makes reference to Moses saying, God's going to raise up a prophet. He starts in verse number 19, Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, 
that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy scriptures long ago. And Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. This is the fulfillment of that prophecy. Moses said God's going to raise somebody up, and he did, and that was Jesus Christ. You need to listen to him. Listen to his message. Listen to his word. Verse 6 of our text, we are his house. You know, we talked earlier about being part of the family of God, and he's kind of circling back to that. Holy brethren, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, we are his house. The house that Jesus built, the house that Moses served in as a servant, but Jesus built the house. We are his house. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. We are part of the household of God. No longer strangers, foreigners. We're part of his family, that holy family. And Jesus himself is the cornerstone. He's the reference point. He's where everything starts. He's the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the alpha, the omega, so on and so forth. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You know, the book of 1 Corinthians, Danny has talked about this some, about how our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Well, what he's saying here is on a collective level, it's the same thing. In him, in Jesus, you are all being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Growing together into a holy temple in the Lord. Going back to this idea, we're part of something bigger than ourselves. And we are God's house. Now listen, who are you going to pay more attention to? Are you going to pay more attention to a servant? Or are you going to take more attention to the builder of the house, to the son? You know, the, the answer seems obvious, obvious to us in hindsight. We can look at this and say, yeah, why did these people have such a big problem understanding this? Why did they want to cling so much to the law? Why did they want to cling so much to Moses Why did they care so much about those old sacrifices and circumcision and all that kind of stuff? Why couldn't they just see it? But you know, we have a hard time focusing our attention as well, don't we? Sometimes we forget what we're a part of, that we are part of God's house. And he says, you are God's, we are his house, but he places a condition on that. If, you're God's house, if what? If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Are we confident in this? Do we... Hold fast to this. We hold fast to the notion that God has raised us up in Christ and seated us with Christ and made us fellow heirs with Christ. Do we have confidence in that? And do we hold fast to that? And I like this message here, our boasting in our hope. Look, wait a minute, we're supposed to boast about this? I thought, I thought we, we're not supposed to boast. We're not supposed to be people who boast about anything, Right? Well, Paul said in the book of Galatians, I don't boast in anything except for the cross of Christ. And brothers and sisters, we can boast about that, and we should boast about it. Not by saying, I deserve what Jesus did for me, and I've earned it, but rather I didn't deserve it, but he gave it to me anyway. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, he says, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you what? 
a reason for the hope that is in you. Always be ready to give an answer. Always be ready to boast in what Christ has done for us because he can do it for anybody else as well. And we should be willing to take that to everyone and to teach them about that. That Jesus Christ is superior to anything in our lives. He's greater than Moses. And so just as a quick overview of what he's covered in terms of Moses being worthy of more glory than Christ, Moses was faithful as a servant. But Jesus is faithful as an apostle, as a high priest, and as a son. Moses was a servant in God's house, but Jesus is a son and the builder of God's house. Moses testified of things to come, that God was going to raise up that prophet that they would listen to. Jesus was the thing spoken of. And he's worthy of more glory than Moses. He's worthy of more glory than anything we can possibly think of in our lives. And think about how that applies to us and the message that's sort of interwoven in all these scriptures we've read this morning. We share in a heavenly calling. We are to grow together in God's house, something bigger than ourselves. And Jesus is worthy of more than anything in our lives. Whether that's Moses, whether that's our entertainment, whether that's money, a career, even family, Jesus is worthy of more than anything. And we need to have that at the forefront of our mind always. And we should always consider or fix our mind upon Jesus. Hold fast our confidence in him and boast in our hope. Tell other people about him in our lives. I don't know where you stand this morning before God. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you've never obeyed the gospel. I want to tell you today is the right time to do that. Today is the day of salvation. If you know what you need to do, if you know that you need to give your life to him and to repent of your sins and be buried with him in baptism, do that today. Don't wait a moment longer. Join the family of God, that holy family of God today. And follow Jesus and set your mind upon him as the bearer of God's ultimate message and as your high priest that stands before God on your behalf. If you want to do that, if you need the prayers of this church for any reason, please come as we stand and sing.